This is SciBite, episode 75, for December 18th, 2012. Hi everyone and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast. Fresh every Wednesday morning over at Jupiter Broadcasting and live Tuesday nights over at jblive.tv. My name is Chris and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey Heather, happy science to you. Happy science. Alright, what are we talking about today? Alright, today we're going to take a look at the science of a few in-the-world ideas, a few astronomy gift ideas... DARPA's probe droid, the new space station crew, spacecraft updates, curiosity news, and as always, take a peek back into history and up in the sky this week. Wowzers. All right. Boy, that sounds like a big one. Let's get started with the news. All right. So with the end of the world so near to this show, Uh where do you go with the news on this episode? Uh, Well... Obviously, the poor Mayans have been blamed for everything, and I've talked about the fact that no other calendar does not actually end on the twenty first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was it was like we printed off two thousand years of calendars, and in the future, they said, "Oh my gosh, they only printed two thousand years. The world must end then." They Makes just sense to me. They, no, that's they, they that's math. That's that's calendar math. That sounds solid. Yeah, yeah, and they've actually found calendars that have went beyond that. It's just a new, you know, a new chapter, a new starting for their whole system. But, you know, you go back to it, and there are a few of these in-the-world things that are more science-y than others. So I thought I'd just pull them out, talk about them. All right. We'll see what happens. Okay. It's okay. What so do we none, got? Of these, none of these are on our future. You okay. don't have to clear so, your calendar. Right. You, you, you can't assume that you can just take off work and you don't have to deal with your boss. But you, if because, now you would tell me though, right? If I mean, like, yeah. we could do it off air if you didn't want to scare anybody. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But one of the possible causes that we would have to worry about would be a gamma ray burst. Yeah. Yeah. These are when two collapsed star, uh, stars actually collide. Now, it's really, really powerful outburst of energy, about ten quadrillion times more than our sun. So it's like 10 quadrillion suns shoot at us. Mm-hmm. Now, even one that was a, about a thousand light years away, now that's further than most of the stars from us, that's going to create an explosion as bright as the sun, and it would not be a happy day in science. <laughs> it would definitely not be a happy day. Now, the atmosphere and the ozone would provide a little bit of protection at first, and then it would boil away oh and then the uv rays would kill off the plankton in the ocean oh and that hooks us up with a lot of oxygen right and and still definitely not a happy day in science okay now at least one of these bursts happen about every day at least one a day but they are if you're looking with the right uh, gamma ray vision telescopes but they're so far away that it's not really making that's not going to make a difference to us. But the whole idea is, you know, can we understand these? Can we 
kind of look at them and see if we can predict any of this stuff because there might be one that's closer to home and is there anything in our power to do about it? But nothing so far. And as I said, most of the stars, um, it's something to worry about, but not really. There's not a whole bunch we can do. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. There's not nothing you can do about it anyways. Yep. So just keep on trucking. Okay. And got, still got to go to work. So don't no freak states. out about gamma ray bursts. All right. That, no. That, all right. I can do. So uh, another reason we're all, everybody, you know, you can be like all doom and gloom would be solar activity. Of course, mm. we've talked about various solar flares that come. Yeah, 2013 is supposed to be a big activity year. Yes, next year is the high point, you know, because it has an 11-year cycle. So it'll have high activity, and then it'll go down to low activity. Yeah. Now, enough of these solar flares, um, they can do off the coronal mass ejections, and that gives us aurora. Now, a large enough one, and the more a powerful enough one, then we'd have to worry about it. Now, nothing that we've seen. Now, looking out into space, we can actually see stars similar to ours that briefly brighten by about 20 times. Ooh. And we're not quite sure. Now, one theory is that it is like a super mega ultra solar flare. Okay, sure. So, in that case, would our star happen to do such a thing that we theoretically think might happen? then it would definitely not be a happy day in science. Right. But on the other hand, even it's not so much that. Even if our sun decreased its activity by 1%, now that happens to a lot of different suns, that would fling us into an ice age. Really? 1%? 1%. And it would be a cold day in science. That seems like that could, that seems like that could easily happen. Now what happens if it goes 1% the other way? I seems would, I'd be bad too, right? Yeah, that seems like it would definitely be. So bad. you're telling so, me that we are within one percent margin of comfort <laughs> with, that, <laughs> with that burning ball out there? With oh, that burning great. ball, I'm giving everyone sweet dreams tonight. All right. Well, that now right. that I am going to worry about. That seems completely but, practical. However, I got to tell you, why? Our sun is what? everything is really you know stable. But I interrupted. Oh, I was just going to say. I mean. Why sit around here and wait for uh, some lazy star to adjust itself 1% to the other when we could actually just create our own micro black hole and destroy our planet much like Vulcan was destroyed in Star Trek 2009? Oh, like the Large Hadron Collider? Something like that. Yeah, everyone got really freaked out about that right before it you know, started up. And every time a big news break comes along, we've talked right. about the Higgs boson you know, a couple of times this year. And they're like, oh, wait, that's right. They're going to blow us up. They're looking for new particles. We're going to be destroyed. Uh, not really going to happen. But should you ever, wor ever worry about it, there is a link in the show notes telling you about it. You can check on our status. Has the Large Hadron Collider destroyed the world yet? Yeah. Right. It's pretty simple to use. Yep. Very simple. Click on it and it'll let you know exactly what's going on. That's nice. And uh, so far, uh, from at least according to the link that you have here in the show notes, uh, the uh, Large Hadron Collider has not. Uh, yep. uh, nope would be the uh, would be the correct. Yep. Just nope. Far you click there, and that's what it tells you. <laughs> nope. All you're right. Dead. Well, good. So uh, I shouldn't worry too much about that. You're saying. Yeah. Nope. 
not really. I'm going to worry more about uh, the sun changing 1% to tell you the truth. <laughs> that, that's going to have a hard time moving past that one. Okay. Uh, all right, Heather. Well, I feel a little right. better because it sounds like we're we're fairly we're par- we're fairly safe, assuming yeah. the sun keeps up its uh, its end of the bargain. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on that? No, just think happy science thoughts. Before. Right. Okay. Right, and send your uh, send your uh, happy science thoughts to the sun. That way, it keeps that one percent up. <laughs> all right, Heather. Well, before we move on, uh, I I don't really have much to stop here and plug, other than just to remind folks as they're doing their probably their last minute holiday shopping at this point. Uh, we do have the Jupiter Broadcasting affiliates. Oh, um, <clears throat> probably in the next few well couple of days, <clears throat> the Jupiter Signal will be out. Oh. Probably a lot of you out there are already subscribers to that, but we're going to get our holiday schedule. We're going to try to get our holiday schedule out. So, a couple. There's probably a couple of points to mention here in the show is we have our affiliate links down there and. Uh, Thank you, everybody, who uses those before they shop, say, at Amazon or eBay or Newegg or ThinkGeek or Best Buy or grabs our Chrome or Firefox extensions. Those even support more affiliates. Uh, but uh, also maybe go over to bit.ly slash JupyterSignal and uh, grab the grab yourself uh, the uh, latest edition of the Jupiter Signal, which will probably be out later this week, so that way you guys know what our holiday schedule is for next week. Yeah. So, yes. All right, Heather. Well, uh, of course, uh, I guess we should mention, too, that uh, as a reminder, we're off for the next couple of weeks because Cybite Falls... On, uh, on Christmas like, and New Year's, yeah, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally, yeah. So that was a pretty good that was a pretty good roll for Cybite. So yeah. uh, we will not be back until the eighth. So there's your uh, here's your heads up for that too. So and uh, join us on join us then on uh, Tuesday the eighth at uh, seven thirty p.m. Pacific over jblive.tv. But Heather, yes. not that one, not that one. No, no, oh, do not get in the time in. machine. No, 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 no. Time for the news. Bye. I have to remind uh, me to have a little discussion with my new uh, soundboard producer, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> you were you were talking about traveling back and forth in time. The, the Cybite was ready to jump ahead to the to the the that's next right. time we're ready that's to right. go. That's right. That's all it is. That's right. We're ready. We're ready. All right. All right. What do we got here? Talking about the holidays, yeah. I've got a couple of uh, ideas that could be last minute things for you. Okay. Hopefully, if you have. Someplace that's like overnight shipping at this point. Amazon. I, I think uh, actually, if you if you buy if you're buying from Amazon, you've actually got four days left at this point. Four or five days. Oh, yeah, they're good. Nice. They're they they get they have a countdown on their page on their website. Oh, on, on, their, on their website, Heather. Wow, that's very handy. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of these are astronomy because that's a lot of the stuff I had on my wish lists, <laughs> my Christmas wish lists. Of course. Um, one thing that. If you'd like have anybody that's interested in the sky or, you know, astronomy and things like that, I've talked about binoculars and things like that. Mm. If you go for a telescope, then that's fine. But at this point, I wouldn't suggest going that route if you haven't really looked at what's, what's there and what's good for, you know, what the, the goal that you're going for. But in general, uh, planispheres or star finders are a really good way to go. This is just a... It's just literally a flat circle, and it's the outside is plastic, and it has like a little overlay, and you rotate the card in the middle, and it has all the, like the whole night sky. So you line it up, and there's a little dial on the outside, so you can say, okay, it's going to be at 8 p.m. on December the 25th. And you line that up, and you look in the window that's available, and those are all the stars in the sky to the north. You can flip it over and it'll show it to the south. So it'll literally kind of 
let you see what's going to be up there. You can kind of look, get yourself more familiarized with constellations and where things are. And that's going to really help you if, um, you know, move forward with that so you can find things in binoculars or a telescope or just looking cool and pointing up and be like that. Mm, well, and the price is right too. And it yes. ships from Amazon and it's gift wrappable from Amazon. Yep. So it's a great little like grab that. And if you know somebody who's, who's getting into that, yeah, and there great. are specific ones for various latitudes. So just check out our, you know, your 20 to 30 degrees north you, or you know, all the way to 50 to 60 degrees north, even one for the southern hemisphere for those people on the warm side of the planet. Um, so just kind of check out where you are and get the one that's closest to you. That way you can, you know, be able to see the most accurate representation of the sky that you might find. Had a couple of uh, book ideas. I had at least person, at least one person, write in and be like, "What kind of astronomy book oh, suggestions sure, do you have?" Sure. So there's a couple. There's a handful in the uh, in the show notes you can check out. It's ones that are helpful to find things and kind of teach you at the same time. So um, one book, the One Minute Astronomer. So it has very simple ideas where it's you know takes just a couple minutes. Look at this. This is what you need to do. Are you ready? This oh, cool, is cool. night. You know, adjusting your eyes for the night. There's a book in there about um, 99 objects for binoculars. Hmm. So it'll give you an idea of you know, another book for 125 objects. So just kind of look <laughs> at them. It'll take a few minutes. Look at it. Say this is actually what I'm going for. I want to learn more. There's quite a few of the peak insides that really gave me a good idea and like, oh yeah, that's the book or... I like this because I think, you know, as Dylan gets older, I'm going to take your advice. We'll start with binoculars. And so this kind of, this, I like the idea of buying something that highlights, it's a book for binocular users. It's like the highlights for people specifically using binoculars. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. The only downside of binoculars is it's really hard to pass back and forth. So it's, or have someone look through them. Oh, I suppose so. Yeah. But... But in general, I mean, just starting off with, you know, those kind of books or planospheres so you can know where the constellations are, that's really getting yourself quite a few big steps ahead. Because it's really hard to find those binoculars or telescope objects if you have no idea where Cassiopeia is. Mm-hmm. You're like, hmm, two degrees south of this star. Yeah, that's a lot of sky. I don't know which star. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that a lot of people don't, actually know or don't think about are red LED flashlights. Now, at night, yeah, and at night, your eyes, you know, they get adjusted, so then you, you step out, the lights go out, and everything is a big black nothingness. After a few minutes, you can actually start seeing better and better as your eye switches into those receptors. Sure. So it sort of switches gears. Now, if you start in a flashlight, obviously, boom, you're back in the blackest of nights when the light goes off. Mm-hmm. But red light is actually in the correct wavelength that it hits the right photoreceptors in your eyes that it does not make you lose your night vision. So you can have a red light and that's what astronomers will use. That's what I used with my telescope to kind of shine a light on my notebooks or my, you know, all my notes or to find my next lens or just, you know, to not fall when I went to go, go get something, get a drink. So these are really good, handy lights, and they actually come in, you know, red LED fashion. Back in my day, I'd actually take flashlights 
and like take little red cellophane and red sharpies and like mark them all up. And then my mom had to start hiding flashlights because I kept marking everything up in red. <laughs> She's like, no, stop. I need some white lights. <laughs> oh, man. Us geeks did horrible things to our parents' things, I think. I, yeah. I, we could do a story about some, a whole show about some of, the, some of the things I've done to my parents' devices around the house. Gosh. Speaking but, uh, of all the evil things you could do, yeah. science kits. Oh, cool. You look yeah. at them, but when you look at them, don't just buy a box and think of it lightly. You know, what level of knowledge is it meant for? You know, what is our supervision required? Do you really want this person to have it without mom and dad around or mom and dad willing to be there? Now, there are a whole bunch of different ones. Of course, there's the chemistry set. I, my brother actually had one that was a, well, like a circuit board one where it had, you'd hook up different things and we can make a little transistor radio that transmitted to the other room. So somebody would, you'd hook it up together just right. So one person was in the front of the house and then the person would be in the back of the house dialing into the radio. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you're in the radio. <laughs> Thinking everything was awesome and cool. But, you know, is it going to be safe? Are they going to blow themselves up? all things to really think about before you buy something and um, whether or not you might be chased after and, you know, beat by other parents for right. trying to blow up their house. <laughs> yeah, you got to watch out for that. Yeah. But it'd be not even just science, but if you're wanting to get a book for someone, don't get stuck on any one idea. If you, you know, if it's a kid and they really don't like reading and mm. you're like, no, I want to get you a book so you like it. Think about what they're interested in. If they like sports, get them a book on sports. If they like science, get them a book on science, history, whatever. Just pick something that's good to their level, whether make it fiction, nonfiction, doesn't really matter. There's a story, a pretend story about some baseball player. The kid likes baseball, get it to them. They're more likely to read it if they're actually interested what's in there. Ah, so, yes. So make a few. You know, setbacks if you if you need meet in the middle, but in general, compromise, think smart. Yeah, yeah. yeah, compromise. Think smart for science. Science deserves the smart thinking. <laughs> reading, just getting them to read is good. Yeah, yeah. Reading is step one. Then they can actually read all the astronomy books and get, you know, what's I going if kids on. Kids would be more likely to read if you got them a Kindle. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I wonder if that would actually make them less likely to read because there's other things you can do on a Kindle. I don't know. True. It it depends. Yeah. Does. It but, depends I mean, on the there's, kid. Yeah, there's always the software for uh, computers and things like that, even mm -hmm. Kindle, mm -hmm. for when you're out in the, uh, you know, out in the night looking at stuff. But oh, yeah, true. anything that you want to actually use out in the, you know, quote unquote field or mm -hmm. in the backyard or whatever it is, mm -hmm. make sure it has a red setting. Yeah, I was going to say like no light, right? No backlight or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, there are some astronomy um, programs for your laptop or computer like that, that actually have a setting that tints everything red. Oh, cool. So it kind of, it realizes, wait, yes. Hmm. We, you actually want to see what we're showing you, you know, switch into this mode. That's you really know, night mode. And that's, it'll, it'll work. that's something to look for too. If people grab like something for their tablet, see if it has like a, a night mode setting or something. So it's yeah. red. You want, you want something red. Yep. 
that is the light wave that your eyes are happy with at night. Well, very nice, folks. Uh, Heather has listed a lot of this out in the show notes, including links to some of her favorite books and uh, uh, other picks that she's mentioned here. So go check those out if you're looking for something for somebody. Uh, any other thoughts on those, Heather? No, I don't think so. All right, then stand by. Let's shift gears and right. move into the Two Byte News. Two Byte All right. So uh, anyways, I was uh, just sitting here quietly waiting for our music to wrap up. And I wondered what you had in the two by news for us, Heather. Yes. So we're we're all, of course, we're science people. Mm. A lot of us science nerds. We may have seen a movie called Star Wars. Oh, probably. Yeah. You know, maybe we may have seen probe droids floating across ice covered worlds. Oh, yeah. And now they're here. Ooh, now they're here. Oh, really? We have probe droids now? Oh, my DARPA. gosh, we do. You're right. These are the people who made the robot that, you know, walks like a dog or a horse and kind of tromps around the wilderness. Now they have a hover. It's wing-borne, so it actually can... It hovers, and then it moves forward or back or around. And it's automated. So it can go and say, oh, th- look for an object. Say, there it is. Fly over to it. Avoid obstacles. Then reach out with its little arm and place an object. It could be up to one pound, and it will place it directly where they want it to be. Wow! So it has stereo vision. It tracks its target. It tracks where its arm is. It's got control logic, so it can do it all on its own. It has a six-foot reach. So, uh... <laughs> it is a probe droid. It if really is. Video, I mean, the, if uh, you look at the video, it really, really looks like it. So this uh, is obviously. I mean, the thing that I think I th- I hope this would be used for is not so much for hunting citizens, but more so for finding people who are maybe lost in the woods, right? Yeah, or going into a dangerous area and saying, you know, fly in looking for someone and be like, oh. Here's this person. Let's drop him a, a bottle of water. Okay. Or a marker, a GPS marker. Yeah. Or a GPS marker so that everyone else can know that's where we want to go. So. Or it could be to hunt humans. I just don't know. I just. If don't you're know. in an ice covered plane, then maybe it'll come searching for you. Yeah. This The sound on the video is nowhere near that. Oh, but is there a sound? You, oh, but no, it's, it's horrible sound. It sounds like a. Yeah, it's awful. That's awful. Yeah. I was like, don't listen to the sound. Yeah. Just like mute it. And that would actually be, imagine the probe droid sound. That would be actually very menacing. Like you, you picture uh, <laughs> picture the robots have taken over and you're hiding in the forest and you're ducked behind a tree and all of a sudden you hear it coming. Oh, there it is in the distance. Oh my gosh, it's getting closer. Oh no, it's it's right above us. Yeah, you see it's Yeah. I don't know, Heather. I don't know. But that is a very cool uh that is a very yeah, cool I, it, it developed. I saw that video and I was like, yeah, that's gotta go in. That deserves a quick note. <clears throat> And it re- I really am kind of serious. Like, you could have a whole fleet of these things deployed out, uh, you know, doing a search and rescue, and maybe you'd find somebody before, you know, the wilderness got to them or something like that. So these really oh, yeah. could be, these really could be very... Yeah, and they're very, they're automated right now, so very autonomous. Oh, good. So, yeah, so it makes you feel even better. But, uh, so they they go out, find the wilderness, and actually look for something on their own. There has doesn't have to be somebody for a remote control on every one. You can... You know, be kind of 
monitoring multiple as they go and search around. You know what else it reminds me of is the, uh, uh, um, remember that episode of Star Trek where they bring on this probe on board and that, uh, no, no, well, it kind of reminds there's me a lot of Star Treks and a lot of different robots. That's a, yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, that's a good point. All you're right. Not, well, you're not I, narrowing it down. I believe remember there that were... day <laughs> that the sky was blue. <laughs> You know, you don't know. You don't. You don't. No, you know. Don't. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's a specific yeah. episode of of uh, where Nomad comes aboard. I am Nomad. I am Nomad, and he oh. is a floating robot that is a little about the size of that of that drone that they showed there. And he's self he's self aware, and he just goes about his programming. But he's a killer. Uh. Anyways, I believe there was a rumor about uh, a uh, spaghetti slingshot. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gets that except for, for you That's and I. That's okay. Maybe the last, last week I put this in. Totally forgot about it. It's called <laughs> Snapshot Serengeti. Oh, Serengeti so Snapshot. If, okay. if you glance over it, then it might look like Spaghetti Slingshot. <laughs> if really. you're looking really quickly. <laughs> but this is one of those um, crowdsourcing uh, observation things. We've talked about it for various times for looking at stars, for tracking to see if there are planets. Look at it for look over captains' logs and ships to see whether, the, so that you can actually read human handwriting. This one is they set up uh, over two hundred cameras around the Serengeti, and they're automatic. So they're we've talked about these a couple of times too, where if there's motion, it automatically snap, snaps a picture. So there's millions of images, and they're coming in all even more all the time. So essentially, you go on, and you they've got a whole list of animals and. You know, how do you find it? Is there spots? Are there horns? Is it a deer type thing? Is it a cat type thing? And you click on different animals and it'll show you a picture. So you're like, yeah, that's the one. Sometimes there's a, a number of pictures in a row. So you, so you can actually get to see it kind of wandering across the screen. But you click it and you identify what's there. You're like, there is one wildebuck walking across the screen. And it says, excellent. And you go to the next image. And it's kind of fun. You'll go, you'll find, you know, Grass, grass, tree. Oh my gosh, there's an animal. And you're like searching. There's one, there's a couple that are, of course, like herds of these. So you're trying to figure out and count. You're like, I see like 20 of these all tromping across the, the wilderness. So it gives them a better idea of everyone go out and look at these. Oh, well, these animals were seen right here. This, you know, there is a herd of them right here they're walking around they're eating gives them a really good idea of what's going on and much faster than they can run a program on it because human braid is a really really good program right we've so done, we've, a, what, we've talked about what a pattern matching beast it is right oh yeah that's uh, why they put a lot of these up there the, i'm so, so proud that, of my brain i'm so proud of it it's like, you know, computers can really kick my butt at a lot of things, but I can match patterns way better than stupid computers. Yeah. That makes me feel good. <laughs> yep. And the last couple of months, it uh, helped find a planet. There you go. That's right. That's right. Oh, yep. Link right. in the show notes to go uh, have fun looking for animals. I like in it. In the Serengeti. Go, uh, go do a little uh, matching and pattern matching. Show those computers who's boss, folks. And uh, while you do that, we're going to do a spacecraft update. All righty, Heather, what is our spacecraft update? All righty, the Grail Moon probes. Oh, yeah. Ebb and flow. We've talked about them quite a number of times. They entered the moon's orbit uh, back New Year's Day, New Year's Eve of this, last, of this year and then of last year, however you want to 
look at it. And their mission, they flew about nine, about sorry, thirty-five miles above the surface, and they're connected so they can just they can actually see how far away they are from each other within very small. We talked about this last week. How one twenty thousandths of a snail's pace they could tell, you know, if one was going faster than the other. Hmm. So going around, they actually you know, finished their mission last week. Had all the notes in all about on the maps about exactly how the gravity map was of the moon, all sorts of different things they found out. The mission went on. They lowered the orbit to about 14 miles above as they were getting towards the end of the mission. And then they put them down to a kilometer so low they actually smashed into a mountain yesterday. Yeah, and that was on, on purpose. Monday. Yes, it was purposefully brought down. They wanted to make sure it was in a very specific location, that they avoided all of the lunar landings and historical markers. I thought that was such an interesting point. I hadn't even, I don't know why that didn't cross my mind, but the idea that these things could run out of gas and then yep. smash into the Apollo's night would be awful. Yeah, they're, everything that, I mean, the Russians have some stuff landed on there too. Yeah, the Russians. Hey, everybody has their, everybody has their moment on the moon. Uh-huh. We don't want to crash anything. That might cause an international incident. <laughs> That's true. Calling up, um, sorry. It's funny this. Uh, I don't know if your insurance covers this, but I think we put a dent in your right, right. <laughs> lunar probe. Hey guys, uh, our bad. Yeah, our bad. No, I mean they smashed into the mountain at like three thousand eight hundred miles an hour. Hmm. So they really, really smashed into that mountain about twenty four seconds apart. So, and it actually was in the dark. We couldn't Aww. actually see it Aww. in real time. I would have loved to have seen here. a picture of that. Yeah. Well, the Lunar Cosmos Orbiter, they're looking at making sure that they can, the next time they have a chance to take a picture of that, so they can kind of get the uh, the skid marks or the crash zone, <laughs> however you want to call it. Okay, good. They can kind of see inside of the mountain what happened, see if the extra anything was exposed to kind of get a, a feel for what happened. Now the actual location that they crashed into, it didn't have an official name, but they named the, um, the place it is for Sally ride. Oh, yep. We talked about, you know, she died earlier this year mm-hmm. and she was actually really involved in the program. They had the moon cam project attached to it, sort of an additional low res you know, medium-rise camera on it that school kids from around the world could, you know, write in and say, I want a picture of this part of the moon. And it would go and it would take pictures and it would send it back to the kids. So she was really involved in the whole project. So mm-hmm. it was a it was a very appropriate nod. Yeah, that's great. For the end of a moon, you know, little probe mission. Yeah, that was, that was uh, so important to kids. Yep. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, so that's the update on the uh, on the Grail uh, mission, or I guess that's the end. That the yep. that'll be our last update for now. Yeah, unless uh, some other science comes out of yeah, all the data. The data. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, the data will live on forever. Yes, <laughs> there will be data from the data. Yeah, exactly. So you never know. We might have an updated story, but that's probably the last yep. we'll hear about it from a while. For a while, at yeah. least. Okay. Yeah. So we have a little interna- international space station news too, don't we? That is right. The new three crew members are going to be launching on December 19th. So the day this show comes out or 
tomorrow if we're speaking about when the show is being recorded. We've got three new astronauts or cosmonauts, however you want to put it. We've got Thomas Marshburn from NASA, Chris Hadfield from the Canadian Space Agency, and Roman Romenko from the Russian Space. Romenko. Yes, from the Russian Space Agency. Romenko. So, and there's a link in the show notes about the kind of medical things they've been training for. You have to go through and everyone has to be Everyone has to be versed on, can you make stitches? Can you do that? Basic huh. medical stuff because anyone has to be ready to patch everyone else up. So, and we're going to come up and the, the next time they roll around, actually Chris Hadfield will be the next um, space station commander and he'll actually be the first one from Canada when that happens. And I'll uh, let you guys know when uh, he gets to go up and uh, get the big air. Captain Tat. Uh, right on, right on. Well, we've also got a, uh, uh, a story that's uh, got a little update, don't we? Yes, the Higgs boson. The CERN, the Large Hadron Collider, it's not going to blow up the world. Right, right. Finding right. the Higgs boson. No, that's, no, I'm leaving that up to the sun, and it's 1%. Yep, yep it's, the Large Hadron Collider is not going to do that. Actually, the evidence for it is actually up to... Uh, seven sigma, which is, you know, we have to have a specific set, you know, one in a million, one in two million times that you're incorrect. Now, five sigma is about one in 1.7 million hmm. that you would be wrong. Now, the seven sigma actually means they're up to one in 390 billion. Whoa. So they're getting closer and closer. And they're not going to make any official announcement, of course. Um, they're going to f- keep analyzing the data. They've seen some things that say they've got the right spin and the right. So keep going to see all the details of of the well, part. sounds locked in. Pretty, pretty darn close. Getting Inching there closer and closer. Now, the CERN is shutting down for some revamping. Oh. Uh, leave just in the new year. Oh. It actually won't restart until 2015. <sighs> this thing takes a long time to cool down and heat up and do anything to it. It is ginormous, and it's very delicate, very, very delicate hardware. That's so why they shouldn't stop. They should just keep going nonstop. It needs some upgrades. Once the upgrades happen, we'll be, I'll actually be able to look... And analyze the particles better. Maybe get an idea of the Higgs boson. Actually, be able to see some of the properties even better. Oh, I see what you did there. Yep. You made lemonade. Yes. All right. I did. All right. I'll, I'll I'll wait. I'll be patient. Okay. Uh, while I wait, should we uh, head over to uh, Mars and do a curiosity update? Let's go. And lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. All right, Heather. What, okay. do we, what do we got going on over there today? All right. It's actually made uh, about a 63-foot drive going northeast on, mon- on Monday the 10th. Um, getting for some pretty long drives for, for a rover. Mm. It's going into a slightly lower area than where they were. They're calling it uh, Yellowknife Bay. This is where they're actually going to choose a rock to drill into. Ooh. This is one of the things they haven't done yet, is take out their drill, drill a little hole in a rock, and see what there is. So, then actually, their drive came up about 
shorter than they had planned for, there's a lot of self, you know, checks on the rover itself that said, wait, my tilt is not exactly what we thought it should be. Therefore, I'm going to stop and wait for them to tell me what to do. Mm, Okay. So it's sort of safety gaps. There's the little clearance cameras and there's that kind of thing where they're analyzing the tilt. So if anything happens off from what, you know, we think is going to happen, it stops itself. Because it's not like we're driving a remote control car. You write up a whole program, upload it, let it go, and then you take, then you get pictures back later. Be like, oh, wait, huh, yeah, whoops. So you want it to be a little bit smart enough to say, wait, wait, they thought that there was not going to be a rock here, and there is. Or they thought the hill would be this steep, and it's not. Therefore, I'm going to stop. <laughs> And hold on until they figure out where they went wrong. Hey, I guess that's what it should do. And it's not like you can send out the repair guy. Yeah, tri- AAA doesn't uh, doesn't head out yet to Mars. Not yet, not yet. Although that could be a real sweet contract if they ever hook that up. <laughs> <laughs> so it also took a really cool picture, sort of a self-portrait. And it reached out its little arm, except they took so like 50 positions so that they could actually deliver like a whole scene of the rover without the arm in the picture. Oh, that's how they do that. Yeah. So they take a pic, take a whole bunch of pictures and they keep moving the arm slowly, but surely. And then they map all those together in a giant panorama in order to see the whole thing without, you know, the arm blocking part of the camera. There, there was a picture of this that came out before. This is the, the high resolution and it actually there's a link in the show notes for an animation to show you how it was taken, sort of all the different positions of the arm that they had to, you know, program in and check. And they actually checked the whole thing from the, it's sort of test double here on Earth. Uh, of course. So they've got the, the, the test dummy rover back here on Earth. So they programmed that all in, set it up on the little guy here, checked out how it went. And they said, yep, that works. Send it on to Mars. Hmm. So you know, it's funny. It's funny they 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 go to so much trouble to do that because I I actually heard a guy ranting and raving about the first self portrait, and it's and he's it's he's one of these guys who are like, well, if if it's a self portrait, who who took the picture? Who took the picture <laughs> of it? It's like, well, they do it, but they they take so many pictures, like you say, they can take the arm out. Mm-hmm. Why don't they? I guess they because they don't want it to block. They want to be able to see it without the arm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one, it's a nice picture. And two, you can actually get a scientific value from it. See, check out the whole overall view of what it's doing. How much dust is there? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that's out of place? Right, right. You can actually get some good data from it to see. Plus, it's really cool and confuses people. And makes yeah, it definitely does that. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, we're paying the aliens off. I didn't have an immediate answer for it. I just was like, I think, I think it's a little Photoshop magic is what I told him. And yep. I guess it kind of is, but only in a, it is. in a way, yeah. Yeah, in well, a way. the arm keeps rotating, and then you smash all the non-arm pictures together. Yeah. And so, in that kind of Photoshop They magic, might even not- be using Photoshop, for all I know. Who knows, Heather? But you know what I do know? is I, I have the time machine dust off, and it's already warmed up from a false Next. start. So just jump right in, yeah. and we're ready to go. Here right, we go. go. Here we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, it's it's a yeah. nice ride when it's warmed yeah. up. So actually, if yeah, we just very... if we if we time traveled a couple of times during the show, I think by this point in the show it'd be it'd be pretty solid. This one yeah. took us to 130 years ago, December 22nd, 1882. 
what happened this week it's in a science? It's very themed week in science. The first stream, string of electrical lights decorated a Christmas tree 130 years ago. And it uh, didn't burn down. No, it didn't. The, it was uh, Edward H. Johnson. He was actually an associate of Thomas Edison. Now, you know, previously Christmas trees or trees have been decorated with wax candles. Yeah. And of course, then things can burn down. Yeah. And it's scary <laughs> and bad. So in, um, they actually started advertising and suggesting, go to Edison's company, get those strings. They're good. They won't burn your house down. Well, they would be a big safety improvement. And we're yes, talking 1882. Candles. I yeah. mean, I bet a lot of places, I, I've seen pictures of Christmas trees with burning candles on them. Yes. That seems now these, insane. Yeah. This is not your Christmas tree lights nowadays of all shining and blinking. There was nine lights on a string, little two candle power, 32 volt, little filaments. But they obviously became the rage among the wealthy and then by the time the 1920s or so rolled around then us average joe schmoes could actually get them and it became popular and of course wow. all the various types of christmas lights that have gone through the years so there's actually an image in the show notes of that first little christmas tree that had its lights so and they he said he set it up oh go ahead he set it up in his front bay window and sort of put it up and, of course, in true engineer fashion, hooked it up so that it kind of rotated. Oh, really? So, so, and so, like, the whole neighborhood, of course, people came walking up and had to go. It was like a show. Even better than, like, you know, go up and down the, the streets now. And you're like, ooh, this is like the Christmas tree street. Mm-hmm. The Christmas, you know, light street. And we had it all set up so that it kind of rotated. And it got in the newspapers and... I think what what I find fascinating is how they started it such a first of all very expensive premium product and what's that sucked two candle power nine lights that's you know very unimpressive compared to what we have now and yes, it just shows but, you how you just you know that stuff starts so small but then and then as the technology and the science improves yep yeah wow here we go in today's flashing lights of music and all <laughs> sorts of crazy awesomeness Speaking of flashing lights, why don't I uh, retune the Cybite 2000 so we can look up into the sky? Alrighty. Friday, December the 21st. Is it the 21st? Oh my goodness. Yeah. It is the day that will not end. Winter actually begins in the Northern Hemisphere. Southern Hemisphere gets the summer. And the next day will continue to go on. So... And in general this week, we still have Mercury, Venus, and Saturn in a kind of diagonal line. A little crooked, but it's diagonal. And uh, southeast at dawn. Of course, Venus is the brightest, and Saturn is to the upper right, flying with its little wings of rings. (laughs) And Mercury, it's to its lower left because it's down closer to the sun. So, all my crazy little uh, silly things will help you remember. Hopefully, but Saturn is to the upper right and Mercury is to the lower left. There you go. Wow, Heather, uh, this is a great show. And now I don't feel like I don't feel like I need to panic about too many things causing the end of the world. So yeah, other than that, something. Yeah, and always- maybe the Large Hadron Collider after their upgrades in 2015. I reserve judgment. We'll see. About okay. That. But uh, don't forget, folks, we're off until the 8th of January. So have a great holiday season, all of you, and have a great New Year as well. Heather, same to you. Yes, and, and uh, you as well. Yes, and thank you for a great show. 
Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to all of SciBite in 2012. We look forward to seeing you right back here in 2013. 